I do, but then, uh, without going into too much detail, you've obviously got more testosterone than I have, so, uh, <laughs> yeah. The History in Polyam and Pow's Podcast, in association with thehistorycorner.org. Podcasts, articles, reviews. Greetings. <laughs> One must not get one's knickers in a twist. This podcast episode is a mega crossover between real-life ghost stories and the History Emporium and Powers podcast. We are talking history and horror and mixing them together. Lovely. So, a big warm welcome to Dan. Hello, Dan. Hey, Ollie. How are you doing? I'm so grateful and honoured to be able to come back on and I am really excited to do this. So, let's go. I'm totally excited. I always feel like a bit of a fangirl when you're on. Um, just because you were the first podcast that I ever listened to. Oh, that's really sweet. Well, you don't need to fangirl over me, though, because I'm just a nightmare. So it's all good. Don't worry. We are we are equal brethren. I'm going to use that word today, I think. I like it. Gangster. Um, yeah. What people don't know is we've attempted to record this a few times, and we're talking about ghosts, and we're getting loads of static. So I don't know if that's a sign that there's actually <laughs> ghosts with us as we talk via the internet yeah maybe we're supposed to do some kind of uh podcast seance at the end or something <laughs> i mean i'd be up for that but sort of by your track record i'm guessing you wouldn't i wouldn't <laughs> no dan i have a question for you okay um, firstly do you believe in ghosts um yes <laughs> Can you imagine... yeah, I, do. I probably believe in too many things to be honest can you imagine if you said no and you just disappointed all of your fans over it? Yeah, I mean, it would stories. be a massive letdown. And I'm pretty sure that some people that listen to us just think that I put it all on. But the truth is, I am actually scared of everything. And I do tend to believe that if something is happening that I can't explain, it's probably a ghost, a demon or a baby girl. <laughs> and a ghost live, is what I meant to say. <laughs> and a live one or a dead one? Yeah, baby. <laughs> just, just a baby, <laughs> <laughs> to be fair they are quite terrifying just a, yeah just a baby in general yeah <laughs> they yeah. are terrifying <laughs> mm. yeah it's when um uh people expect you to hold them and you're just like uh they're all floppy aren't they like nah not for me yeah not for I'm me not, i'm pretty sure they're not responsible for para- paranormal disturbances though but hey you never know you never know never know so have you have have you ever had any experience with ghosts in your time um i don't 
really think I have much to my own disappointment. I feel like all of my kind of unexplainable experiences are explainable if you think about it enough. Um, but I spent a year sort of working in a pub in Norfolk. It was quite old and quite remote and I had some weird stuff going on in that pub, some of which was explainable, some of it which, which was not as explainable. Um, but one time that will stick with me the whole time was when I... So as part of my role, I had to sleep in the pub because it had rooms as well. So we had to take it in turns to do a sort of sleepover what, night shift. It was, you know, night shift sounds like you have to actually do any work, but it wasn't. You know, you clocked off at 12 and most of the time you got to sleep for until you started again in the morning at 8. So it wasn't really like a big sort of deal or anything. But I remember one time falling asleep and as I felt asleep, I felt something tug on my duvet and laugh, heard it laugh. And uh, now it could have been that when you're falling asleep and that's what I'm telling myself that it is but there were reports of there being a little girl ghost in this pub um, and there was one particular um, resident almost in this pub who was an old elderly lady and she called one of my colleagues in at one point and said can you tell that little girl to stop climbing on the chair uh, because it's really annoying and there was nobody else in the pub at this point <laughs> That's like your worst Which nightmare, is really weird. isn't it? A little girl ghost, <laughs> yeah. not just a ghost. It had to be a little girl. Yeah, I mean, I never... So my, my big thing about this was that I think the one experience I had was explainable and I personally didn't experience anything. It was just that there was a lot of... There was a lot of evidence to suggest that there was some kind of paranormal activity going on in the pub and the way that the manageress just denied everything and actually stopped us talking about it also kind of added to it. Yeah, that's quite unusual, isn't it? Because if somebody like these days, if there's uh, like a haunted pub and stuff, people kind of jump on that, don't they? They're like, oh, look, yeah. we're the most haunted pub in Britain or Ireland or Scotland or Wales or wherever you are. Um, uh, but it's interesting that that lady was having none of it. Maybe she knew something, or she was trying yeah, to cover what something I, that's up. What, that's instantly what my terrified mind went to. There's like, there's more to it than meets the eye. Well, it's the um, it's the ones that you don't suspect that have like buried people under the floorboards and stuff, isn't it? <laughs> I'm not commenting on that in case she does by some chance listen to this. She'll know who I am. <laughs> she doesn't know who I am. <laughs> but she does now. Um, okay, so that's interesting. So you, you feel like you've had um, some experience um, with something that's not quite... Um, legit i guess is that what we're saying yeah i'm also a strong believer that we're we're only kind of face things that we can handle and like i know that i can't handle ghosts which is probably why i haven't experienced that much <laughs> potentially potentially they probably just wouldn't come to you if they needed help anyway would they because they'd be like he ain't no. gonna help he's gonna hide <laughs> so not having any of that um so if i was to um say victorian seance or seance in general what images like spring into your head for me it is very much holding hands in a circle and tables turning upside down or floating that's the kind of things that go into my head yeah yeah and they're they're, they're the images that we see as well um i've actually been to the seance i've been to Ooh. it was a stage one it was a bit more like a darren brown kind of Thing. But in Edinburgh, when I lived up there, so there's a um, uh, there's sort of an underground um, street 
under there. So it was Edinburgh's kind of built on layers and layers and layers of like history. So you can still go down to this old street called Mary King's Close. And it's a real street, but it's just been covered up. There's a massive building on top of it now. So it's kind of the foundations for that. And um, there's lots of vaults and old rooms. And um, like you can still see people's like Victorian doors and their, their arsenic wallpaper and all that kind of stuff wow. down there. And it's really cool. Um, yeah, but part of this uh, seance that we got invited to, I worked at a radio station at the time, so we got invited there as like press. And um, oh, it was freaky, man. It was absolutely freaky. And I knew that it wasn't real. And I'm not a believer in ghosts, so I don't think Okay. I wasn't... Um, I didn't get as spooked, I guess. Or I thought I wasn't going to get as spooked. But the, the way the way that they did it was brilliant. So there was lots of flickering of lights. There was there was a table in the middle, and there was a man that looked like he'd been possessed, and his eyes were rolling back in his head and stuff. And it was oh, it was amazing, like how they did it. It was something just out of the films. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, so that's like my nearest experience to a seance. Um, and I, See, I now that 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 is the reason why there's a little part of me that's slightly sceptical about seances because I know that Darren Brown, who I'm pretty sure is the devil anyway, um, but he's done so much in exposing like the sort of techniques and methods of the the spiritualist movement that part of me is like, oh, maybe it's not real, you know? Maybe it's all a hoax. But then you hear people like you that are like, I'm not into ghosts and I don't believe it, but it freaked me out. And you're just like, hmm, <laughs> who knows? Yeah, I mean, the thing is, nothing's certain is it we, we none of us really know what um why we're here or what we're doing here or if there's a before life if there's an afterlife um if it's a culture I'd also like to clarify at this point that I didn't mean that Darren Brown is the devil in like a sort of fundamentalist Christian aspect just in a kind of jokey way in that although he always says that his magic is you know just that it's a trick of the mind there's always that questionable thing that he does where you like you have actually got powers. <laughs> All their mind games, they, yeah, I can't deal with them. I can't, I can't, I, I very rarely watch Darren Brown just for them. Um, for that reason, really, it just freaks me out how, how the mind can be manipulated. Anyway, I digress. I digress. I digress. Um, so we know that you believe in ghosts. We know that you've had uh, some experience in them. So why do you think that Victorian seances are such a massive part of um, the occult culture? Like now, um, like what? Why? Why did it spring up then? Do you think? I've been thinking about this quite a lot because even though it probably doesn't sound like it, listeners, me and Ollie have actually done some preparation on this and you kind of gave me a heads up that you might ask me this question. Mm. So I have been thinking about it and I've got a couple of theories about it. One is that the age that it kind of exploded was this sort of industrial age, the tail end of the industrial age. And that's not me using historical terms. That's me just using my sort of dim-witted brain but we just you know we're in this period where there's lots of technical technological advances happening and i feel like they're seeing things for the first time that they never thought were possible even to the point of like if you think about the natural world we're in a period where people from the west for want of a better word are seeing animals like 
giraffes and elephants and things that just seem so fantastic would have seemed so fantastical to them are actually in reality and i think it's probably a time you know an age of discovery maybe and this sort of it's almost like a a sort of i don't want to say enlightenment because that's that gives it more credit than it needs but it's almost like this era where they suddenly feel that more things are possible than not yeah and you know they've seen so many things that they never co- could have even comprehended happening happen that actually why shouldn't they be able to speak to the ghosts uh, of of people past i also feel that it might have something to do with the fact that high society is getting a little bit bored <laughs> and needs some kind of entertainment <laughs> yeah that's do you know that's something that i've never thought about until you've just said it this second so i love that theory that's that's good um yeah we 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 we're, we're of the age before sort of telly and music readily available yeah. for everyone um, but I think you've you've hit the nail on the head there. So the Victorians and, and why I love them so much is is in such a short period of time, there's just this, this boom of di- of discovery, and then people are questioning um, their religion because you, you've got to remember up until this point, a lot of people just took the Bible, um, whether you be um, Catholic or Protestant, you you'd take it at face value, and that that was it. You went to church every Sunday, and then. All of a sudden, you've got Darwin saying, "Oh no! Well, actually, maybe, maybe this this is an alternative theory." So people's minds are, are opening, they're expanding, and um, we've got the age and the birth of photography as well. So, like you said, people are not seeing. Um, so they're they're seeing portraits of themselves that they probably wouldn't have seen mm. if you were if you were poor, you wouldn't have known what you really looked like. You'd, You'd have a mirror, but you know we all look different in different mirrors, <laughs> so you wouldn't know what you look like <laughs> yeah, on, a, <laughs> on a day-to-day basis. Um, uh, so all of a sudden, you've got all these images, and 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 like anything, like any technology, people exploit that potentially. So you've got the photos that you see of. Um, I mean, they look quite comical now, but if you think that you've not seen a photograph ever yeah and then all of a sudden you've got pictures of yourselves with a shadowy white figure like what is it called x exoplasm x something like that ectoplasm that's the one that sounds about right yeah so you've got all these images of these these photographs so why wouldn't you believe it yeah i I, it's interesting that you said about the church as well because i feel like there's sort of a a reasoning behind it although like obviously it comes up in sort of juxtaposition with with the church in many ways i think it also keeps the aspect of sp- spirituality to something that is evolving so it's kind of almost a way of spirituality evolving with everything else at the time and you've also got to consider that i guess towards the end of the victorian period you get the real boom in in sort of the magician conjurer illusionist era and so much of that is about taking technological advances and hoodwinking people for profit in a similar way to what we see today in many in many cases um that it's not surprising really that spiritualism takes the you know gets the the sort of rise in popularity that it does because it has that same kind of you get a same kind of buzz for your money don't you yeah <laughs> in many ways absolutely and i think that um uh, with any new technology like i said people take People use it for the good and the bad. 
and where you've got to remember in the Victorian times as well, we're, we're, there's still a massive class divide. So there's a lot of people that don't have a lot of money and they need to, if, I don't know, if they're smart technically or they've, 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 they've become an apprentice of somebody and they need to sort of swindle someone to, to feed themselves, then fair enough. Um, I'm not saying that all seances are swindles, by the way. Um, no, not at all. I, I'm just saying the, the the majority of the cases that, that we see on television and stuff sort of are portrayed that way. Um, uh, and there's definitely cases where, I mean, people still do them to this day. As I said, I went mm. to that I went to that mock seance. Um, I would definitely go to a real one. Um, I know you say on your show that you wouldn't do a Ouija board or anything, but I would definitely be up for that. <laughs> So. Yeah, I mean, I'm not me. I'm not there, but but yeah, I can see I can see the appeal of it, and I think it is it is worth mentioning, which I'm sure is the phrase I've used about 18 million times so far this episode. But it is worth mentioning that there is a lot of you know, as much as as with most things, it's always the bad that gets the publicity. And actually, there were a lot of people coming at this from a very genuine perspective, which I know is a little bit outside of what we're talking about. It's very understandable why we get a rise to it because it's after a period of great loss, like after the First World War. And you have to bear in mind also that obviously the Victorian age is, you know, lots of people die young and it's a sort of, you know, a lot of the motivation of these things comes from a genuine desire to speak to people that you've lost. And that is perfectly acceptable, I think. No, I agree. Absolutely. Uh, The Victorian age was full of disease, um, although it had its grandeur. It was full of cholera. It was full of uh, other diseases and um, illnesses. Uh, I mean, if you were an infant, you weren't really expected... Well, a lot of you weren't expected to live until adulthood. And a lot of people didn't live. Mm. So if you're a a mourning parent or sibling or cousin or or whatever, then of course you're going to kind of look for answers. Like, why has this happened to me and actually I want to I want to make contact with these people yeah for sure um I believe you've got a story for me I have I thought you know as I come I'm, I'm most well known for the for being a part of the podcast real life ghost stories I thought I'd bring you a little story um although it's not as you know it's not quite to the level of what Emma writes <laughs> however <laughs> I've had a go so if you can at least appreciate that <laughs> I you get <laughs> five stars already just for effort thanks i before i start though I'd, I'd like to ask you if you know anything about the fox family do you know i know very little i i i kind of knew that this was coming so i deliberately kind of took myself away and didn't look it up so i want it all to be fresh and i want it all to be a surprise so yeah okay cool so i've got a little story for you and this is essentially about the start of Victorian spiritualism in the US, really. I can't give it credit for for how it kicks in our own fine land. Um, but this is this is sort of where the American sort of boom in spiritualism comes from. Perfect. So, um, the era of Victorian spiritualism started with a family who moved into a small in a place called Hydesville in New York State. The Fox family, consisting of John, Margaret, and two of their daughters, Kate and Margareta, moved into the house on December 11th, 1847. They instantly noticed that the house was very noisy. At first, Mr. Fox put this down to the window sashes and would attempt to recreate the knocking sound by rattling them. 
but alas, this was no natural disturbance. John and Margaret would be kept awake at night by the floor shaking and continuous unknown knocking sounds ringing throughout the house. But it was young Kate who first thought that the house may contain more than just furniture and fittings. She would snap her fingers, ask a question, and get the noise to answer no with one knock and yes with two. The noises appeared to come from within the walls. The more attentive the family was to the noises, the more they seemed to increase. By March of 1848, the family were regularly hearing footsteps throughout the house. The girls began conversing with the spirit, referring to it as Mr. Splitfoot, a nickname of the devil. They would ask it to mimic their own finger snaps, and on cue, the knocks would reply. Mrs. Fox, disturbed by the occurrences, asked the spirit to knock the ages of her children. She was greeted by the knocks, identifying the ages of her children with a pause between each. The knocks even gave the correct ages of her grown children. And the last child who had passed was also identified. Yeah. Mrs. Fox began questioning the spirit and through a series of questions, a spirit of a 31-year-old man who had been murdered and was buried in the basement. She asked the spirit if she could bring a neighbour in to verify. The spirit answered with two curt knocks. Yes. Mrs. Fox purportedly chose Mrs. Redfield to take part in the verification as she was blunt and did not suffer fools gladly. To the two ladies' amazement, the spirit answered specific questions about Mrs. Redfield's husband when she asked. This then led to a string of neighbours entering the house and having similar experiences. One neighbour, Mr. Dusler, suggested some of them stayed and tried to get to the bottom of the crime. Five couples, the Foxes, Hyde's, Redfields, Jules and Dooslers, gathered to question the spirit. The gathering involved the couple sitting and asking questions in turn, waiting for the responses. Through this session, they were able to establish the time, method, motive and location of the spirit's murder. Throughout the day on the 1st of April, people poured in and out of the house, but little was heard until the evening when the activity and visitors increased tenfold. It is believed that over 300 people visited and witnessed the activity that evening. Carried away with the story that was being told by the spirit, the gentlemen that were involved in the gathering began an initial excavation of the house on Sunday night. However, they dug down and found no body. Later that summer, a full-scale excavation at a much deeper level found human hair and bone. This was enough evidence for most and the spook house became a known paranormal visiting spot. As the intention increased, the Fox family became more and more uncomfortable with their fame. This caused the girls to leave and go and live with some of their other siblings. Kate went to her brother David's house and Margaret to her sister Leah. However, although the girls left the house, the activity seemed to follow them. It became more violent in the houses that they returned to and poltergeist activity was felt by both households. In the house of Leah, the poltergeist was even able to manifest blocks of inscribed wood out of nowhere. Two separately convened committees put together by the community to try and find the family guilty of fraud found that both Kate and Margaret, as well as Mr and Mrs Fox, were not guilty of fraud and the family and the girls in particular soon found themselves the focus of the local mediums with their sister Leah Brown becoming one of the age's most prominent mediums. 
The reason I chose this story to tell to you, Ollie, is that this is by all accounts the first known seance of sorts. So this is the time when in America when they first had a seance. And this house is super, it was known to be haunted before this family moved in, but this is the family that sort of were able to communicate with the spirits. And this is this is sort of the founding thing that happened that actually led to the creation of the spiritualist group in New York that then later become so famous. And actually it's only two years after this that the, the main meeting of spirit, the first meeting of spiritualists is held in a location which has slipped my mind. Really should have written that down. <laughs> I love that. I want the house to still be there. I'm guessing it's not there. But um It is still there, funny enough it? actually. I look oh. at well well it's it's identifiable. Now I looked at Google Maps and it's if you go to if you look for Hydesville in New York um and go to the maps on Google, it actually brings up one of the flags is actually it brings up the Fox's house. Um I think it's called the the sisters the Fox sisters house or something like that and you can click on it and look on it and there is a building standing on this location now the building that's there doesn't look like the building in the photo in the book that I was using to research so I'd imagine it's a different building however it's still on that location and I think that building must hold a museum of some sorts because there is a sign outside it, it <laughs> and it- <laughs> <laughs> it could hold uh, it, it it could be a facade around an older building as well that that happens quite a lot so so like we clad buildings these days to make them look pretty um it, it could potentially have bits of the old building still there i i would hope it's i would hope it's something like that rather than just a complete replacement but they do look very different um i will send you an image on my phone of the the thing in the book and you can have a look at google after yeah do that's um, there's a couple of things in this case that i find super intriguing um is that essentially the girls just aligned themselves or found themselves in and amongst the sort of mediums of the time and actually kate was paid something ridiculous like $1200 a month or $1,200 a year, I think it was actually, um, to hold, to be a part of free sessions um, by this sort of spiritualist society. So they paid her, they gave her a lump sum of money and said, look, whenever we need you, you have to come and do these free seances for us and be a part of that. So they were earning an income from it. And, but neither of those girls actually ended up becoming mediums herself. Now Leah did. So Leah is is Kate's, uh, Margaret's older sister. Um, But she actually became one of the most prominent um, mediums as I told you and uh, the go- the girls held this facade of this being true right up until their final years where both Kate and Margaret came out and said that actually the whole spiritualist thing was fraudulent um, and then they promptly died like two years later I don't know whether that was some kind of <laughs> curse by the movement or whatever um, but I've, what I found really interesting was that it seemed like they they did this when they just got so fed up with the attention there was no sort of attempt to discredit it any earlier on um, and they did actually find the full remains of a human being in that site, like 20, um, no, it would have been 60 years after. So in the early 1900s, they actually found a whole body on that site. So it seems to be that there was some kind of truth to to this idea that there was a body buried under there, at least. Obviously, we'll never know whether the, the whole story that came out about the murder was, was true or not. That's really interesting because I'd never really thought about, actually, maybe people sort of put themselves out as fraudulent because they just don't want the attention anymore i think that's you know we can we can never know can we ultimately whether these people were telling the truth or or whether they were you know 
con artists or whether they in fact were telling the truth and then later took advantage of the fact that they were telling the truth like we don't know what situation is but it is there must be a point where actually you're just like leave me alone <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely and we're, we're in the age of a sort of the 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 printing press has sort of taken off like massively um news can travel faster than it could before so whereas these things potentially uh, I'm not saying like seances and stuff, but potentially people were trying to contact their dead in 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 medieval Tudor Stuart whatever time. There was no sort of records of it because people were not taking the photographs. There wasn't the printing press. People weren't reporting on it. Um, so this is, I guess, why we always think of the Victorians as like the pioneers of sort of the afterlife. And they're all dressed yeah. in black all the time. Yeah. <laughs> like, just, yeah. They either look suave yeah. or really depressed. Yeah. I think there's there's something to be said as well, for like you alluded to at the beginning, really, about the sort of the loosening of controls by the church, because you're, you're dead right. I have no doubt that people in, you know, medieval times were trying to contact the dead, but there would have been more, well, far more severe consequences if they were found out. Um, probably, you know, burnt as witches, for example. Um, and whereas I think we're at, we're in an age where there's so much going on that the church can't comprehend, i.e., you know, the development of injury, you've got, you know, steam powered machines at this point, the railways coming around, things that, that the Bible couldn't comprehend and doesn't comprehend that actually they don't have the, the, the weight to be able to say, you know, this is, this is evil. This isn't, you know, this isn't right it doesn't have the same impact because actually it becomes part of popular culture and there are, there are dissenting voices as there is with everything, but it's just then just not as loud as they were. And I think that certainly plays some kind of, has some kind of impact on it for sure. Yeah. And I think it stems um, to today where we're obsessed with the macabre, anything dark, anything horror. I mean, I am especially, um, obviously <laughs> yourselves are as well because you've got the, the the podcast um but yeah we everyone loves a good horror story i mean especially in 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 britain we've got we've got like midsummer murders we've got like we we have death in the afternoon it's it's kind of something that we love <laughs> and i yeah. wonder if it stems from this victorian idea of it's a little bit naughty it's a little bit risky um which is why we love it so much i think you're spot on really because we're we're in an age where where so many things fly these days do you know what Mm -hmm. i mean there's and and it's not you know nothing is nothing is seen as 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 dangerous or as unsafe as it had been previously you know it's sort of a you know if we if we'd have had this discussion with with grandparents and said you know actually we were on the verge of and and in some places we have legalized marijuana (laughs) Yeah, you know, that that yeah. just wouldn't have been that. That's just something that would have been so you know frowned upon in in their generation, and now it's just an accepted practice. So that the, the, there's almost you know that element of of doing things that are against the grain is almost n- not there anymore. Or if it is, it's you know you're actually in the realms of doing things that are really wrong, <laughs> um, which is obviously never acceptable. But uh, and I think maybe that's that's why that's why there's such a fascination with horror because it does skate that line between acceptable and not, I guess. This is going to sound really bizarre, but when I'm watching a horror film and like, uh, my, uh, my heart rate has gone up and I'm sweating 
um, especially if I'm in the cinema watching sort of a horror film, then actually I feel really alive. It's like really like mm. adrenaline, like pumping. Yeah, that's... And I guess that's why people do it. That's why people go on fair rides and stuff as well, isn't it? It's like, it's the adrenaline that makes you feel good afterwards. Yeah, absolutely. But um, I guess... <laughs> I guess that's uh, I guess that's sort of caveman instincts, not to go too far back in the past, but I guess if you, you know... There was a thing where you know if you if you had an encounter with a saber tooth tiger, for example, and survived, then your body would tell you that that was a good thing because they would want you to repeat that action in the future for the sake of your survival. Yeah. And so, in in a way, it's like a microcosm of that because you've survived the horror film or you've survived the scary ride. Your body's giving you that those endorphins to tell you that it's the right thing, and you you need to look to carry on surviving. I've got some more little tales for you. Now they're only short ones. Um, but they are more British based Um, so I'm going to talk to you about the grey man of the theatre royal okay so okay theatre is good theatre is good so the theatre royal on Jury Lane in London plays host to many spectacles but the most famous being the grey man an 18th century nobleman in the late 1870s Legend has it that he was a workman and he was bricked up in the walls of the construction of the building. People are said to see the grey man relatively regularly and the last report was in December 2020 when somebody was doing the walk around to sort of make sure that everything was working because we know that theatres have not been not been on. But yeah, so that was the last yeah. report of the grey man. Well. So he was, he stood around. Bricked up in a wall. That's I'm not entirely yeah. sure why, but that's horrendous. Um, well, I guess like without revealing any sort of serial killer tendencies, I'd imagine if you brick something up, it's unlikely to be found because <laughs> you don't tend to put up with it temporarily, do you? Like you're building that thing to last. So I guess if you if you're trying to cover something up, maybe you'd brick those things into the wall. So that's yeah, it's, it's the I guess it's the late. It's the early equivalent of burying someone under your patio, isn't it? Really. So they are Dan's tips if you want to go and bury a body <laughs> anywhere. I've got another tale here called Spring-Heeled Jack. So okay. he was a famous legend in Victorian London. So apparently he used to terrorise the streets of London. Um, and there were numerous sightings of Spring-Heeled Jack. And he would jump from uh, sort of extraordinary heights. And he was said to have... Um, like horns like the devil um and people would report would report spring hill jack and it was it was regularly put in the press now i've got a little theory behind this so you know you get okay. them base jumpers now <laughs> you <Yeah. know? laughs> i reckon it was probably a really early base jumper that is just like really good at jumping high over walls potentially yeah, fair enough. Uh, and um, maybe wearing so a mask victorian parkour yeah, Victorian parkour is that what you're talking? Yeah, I like that's, it. That's that's where I'm going with that one. So, um, I, I think there's probably a link to what you were saying earlier about again about the church in that the acceptance of spiritualism into sort of culture and this idea of the paranormal and it, things like that going on is sort of joined by this proliferation of these things having some kind of link to the devil because it keeps the church in that conversation do you see what i mean yeah so it's interesting that you said like 
Spring Hill Jack is this paranormal entity that moves around London and obviously it's got horns because it must be the devil. It can't just be an evil person or it can't just be like a, a spirit. Amazing. Ollie, I want to tell you about in Kent. Is that all right? Yes, please do. So there is a town in Kent called Margate. Uh, it's a lovely little... Se- well, it was a lovely... No, it's still, it is a lovely little seaside place. It's, it's, it's sort of... It had a, its dark days, but, you know, they've, they've pumped a lot of money into it and, and certain parts of it are just being regenerated. And not too far from Margate is something that is known as the Shell Grotto. So I've the story there. goes that there was... You've been there. Excellent. Good. Mm. So we can talk about it even more detail. But the story yeah. goes that basically there was a some kids playing on a green and one of them, they, you know, they're doing kids things playing with the ball and one of them lost, the just disappeared. And the, it turns out that the ball fell down a hole and after some hunting, these boys found underground this huge sort of cave which was elaborately decorated with shells in various different patterns. That's how the story goes. It's unlikely that that is 100% verifiably true. However, I like it as a story. Um, but any on the discovery of this place, the, it became this sort of prime location for seances. And actually, in this period that we're talking about, loads of seances went down underground in this sort of shell cross space and they were in all kinds of things like table turning and Ouija boards and all kinds of things so I just thought I'd uh, mention that and uh, the the plan is that at some point after lockdown we me myself and Emma actually go there and film a little video because it it's creepy I find it really creepy <laughs> that would be it is yeah no I've been there and it's um it is creepy um you wouldn't want to get stuck in there too long um no it's a bit like, you know, the catacombs in Paris. I've never been, but I really want to go. Um, <laughs> I think that's doing the catacombs in Paris a great disservice. Well. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> yes, I would like to go there. Um, yeah, this tiny little shell grotto. But yeah, the catacombs. Um, yeah, you can see where I get my comparisons. Have you ever heard of the Hellfire Club? Absolutely. I so, have heard of the Hellfire Club. So, I have because I had a friend that was a little bit obsessed with it. <laughs> do you know where the Hellfire Caves are? I do because that said friend went to those caves and told me about it, but I can't remember. So this is going to be, you know, restoring that knowledge to me. So the the uh, the Hellfire Caves are in West Wickham, which is in... But but Buckinghamshire potentially Berkshire, it's it's near Buckinghamshire. London. I knew it was one of the B shears, but I can't remember the B shears. I like that. It's <laughs> like a band, the B shears. <laughs> yeah. Um. So the Hellfire Caves. So I've been uh, a few times to the Hellfire Caves, and um, it's really bizarre. So it, it's it's quite a flat uh, area, but then all of a sudden there's this massive, um. Uh, hill and on top of this hill is a uh, mm-hmm. is a church um a very distinct like looking church um but it's what's underneath the church which sort of piques a lot of people's interest so um you go up to uh, you go up this hill and then the it's kind of it looks like a a church entrance but it's sort of built onto a cliff face like a rock um, and you go down okay. this, you go down and down and down, and it goes down quite a way, um, and it gets colder and colder, and um, there's rooms in there. So basically, the elite society of, um, I mean, we're pre-Victorians here, but the elite society of like Georgian times uh, would go down there, and there'd be a lot of 
sort of famous people there. So there'd be a lot of parliament, there'd be um, like nobility, royalty, and they'd all go down there and loads of weird stuff went on. So there was um, there was lots of parties, there was like orgies, there was um, uh, uh, sort of the meet, meeting of minds, like people would wrestle down there. It was just bizarre. Really, really bizarre. Um, so pretty much what goes on in Eton, yeah? <laughs> yes, 100%. It's just moved out of a cave into a... <laughs> into, into a, a public school. school. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's... But if anyone ever gets a chance to go to the Hellfire Caves, honestly, it's... It's spooky. I remember taking a photo. So, so me and my friend Sarah and her um, partner at the time were there and I was taking photos of uh, them and there was a photo of um, Andrew was his name and it looked like a lightning bolt in white had gone straight the way through him like when we'd taken this photo and um, every single photo that we took it was the same like it didn't matter where we were is he still alive? yeah Okay, good. Yeah, he's, he's. That sounds like the start of like some final destination movie. It does. It? Yeah, yeah, it does. But um, I, I actually, I sent the photograph to um, uh, to them, um, and they emailed me back saying they're going to keep it on their records and stuff because they've got obviously loads of submissions. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, as a as kind of a non-believer, like I thought that was, I, I even I thought that was quite cool. Um, that yeah. it only seemed to happen around him. Um, but yeah, the the Hellfire Caves, Georgian period, there was just, yeah, bizarre stuff going on down there. Um, and it sort of sits next to um, a big country manor house, um, West Wickham Park. Um, so you can go see, you can, I feel like I'm part of the tourist board now, so you can go see the, the two in the one day. Um, <laughs> Very nice. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I've, I've got some questions for you about that place. Because yes. right, I got the impression. I, th- I feel like sometimes it's spun as being this sort of place where, you know, like satanic rituals happen, but it wasn't, was it? It was more like hedonistic stuff. So, like, yeah, weird stuff went on, but it wasn't really to do with Satanism. It was just to do with, like, getting as loaded and as sexed up as you can, right? That's yeah. really what it was about. Yeah, pretty much. So people, were, they'd, they'd have banquets down there. It's like very glutton, like gluttony. Yeah. Um, if you think of the seven, seven deadly sins, I'm guessing all of them were going on down there. <laughs> um, uh, there was, yeah, there was, yeah, Satanism kind of wasn't going on down there. Satanism no, kind was just, of wasn't a thing. Like, yeah. Massively. And it was more like hellfire because they were dancing in the flames of hell, right? With what they were doing rather yeah. than, because they were doing all the things the church says you can't do basically. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, of the location and wrestling. As well. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. A bit of mud wrestling. I'm, I'm going to, oh, dive... how comes the location? So the location, because the location, it's under, it's underground, isn't it? So you're, oh, of course, yeah, okay. Nearer to hell if you're underground. Although yeah, that would make sense. Yeah. Freezing down there. Um, yeah, and probably not that close to the core either. <laughs> no, it's basically it's probably at ground level because it's on it in a hill. Yeah. Um, uh, going from mud wrestling, this is a massive um, tangent that I'm going to go off. I'm going to say it anyway because okay. it's, re- it, it's kind of relevant. So I was in a nightclub in Birmingham um, in my in my uh, youth. Um, I had uh, I'd driven up there with some friends, and I was in my um, you know when all the guys used to wear like matching white shirts and like yep. jeans with like shoes on thinking they were like really cool. So anyway, I was doing that. Um 
I was in this club and I was I was dancing away and as I walked in there was kind of like a a a, a, a panelled curtain and I just thought that that was the decor that that was the taste of yeah. of the bar that I was in but anyway so I'm I'm standing there dancing all of a sudden this music comes on and these like curtains like draw back and there's this bath um, full of mud <laughs> and then there's these people just start mud wrestling and I'm wearing my white shirt right and this mud goes flying over me and like I'm I mean what I'm 19 so I'm I'm I, I care about my looks and stuff and I, I I was yeah and there was all this mud all over my white shirt and I was furious so anyway uh, mud wrestling hellfire club ollie in birmingham yeah, that club that you were in in birmingham was it called hellfire by any chance <laughs> it was dodgy i think there was there was some other dodgy stuff going on there as well there was um there was some doors that people kept going into that they yeah it was yeah mm. um interesting place yeah yeah never again i've never actually been back to birmingham since <laughs> since then <laughs> what with the exception of, of the Birmingham place, I'm guessing the sort of the, the link between, you know, Hellfire Club and and um, the Shell Grotto and what we're talking about is that I guess there there is people have done seances and various other contacting things in both locations, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and if it's, I suppose people, especially when people are um, uh, taking narcotics or they're they're drunk people tend to be a bit more loose don't they so they're they're more open to the idea of of things potentially you've got to think in the victorian times that drugs became massive um the opium the opium dens and um uh, gin was not in the, the the form that we have it now but london gin was renowned for causing this that and the other like damage and, and, and people yeah. were out of their faces so well that's where it got its nickname the mother's ruin from didn't it because mm-hmm. it ruined so many mothers <laughs> yeah yeah definitely and you've got um you've got uh so like poisons and 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 all that kind of stuff so so messing with your brain a little bit so yeah maybe the thing i feel like every time i talk i'm like sort of poo-pooing on people's um sort of seance dreams but um that's that wasn't my point my point was that um people are more um the barriers broken down isn't it so maybe they they yeah. potentially would see something that they wouldn't see if they and, weren't high <laughs> and you know i'm gonna i'm gonna say something now really not controversial just off is that you can never be a hundred percent right about anything i don't think so yeah, ninety nine point five percent of these things might be down to drugs or down to rebelling against the church or opening of new ideas, but there might just be that tiny point five percent that's actually going on where there's just some communication the other side of the veil. Yeah, that's I agree. Anyway. And I mean, I've heard this spoken about on your podcast before. So if you're walking down, I don't know, the road, for example, how do you know that all them people are actually there? Like, how do you know? You don't know, do you? <laughs> No, and I don't recommend that anybody goes down poking everybody that they see on the street just to check that they're real. Yeah, well, yeah, that's what online dating sites are for now, isn't it? You don't. <laughs> um, anyway, I've digressed completely off of topic, but um, I have another story 
for you. Okay. And you've okay. heard this story because this story uh, was on your podcast and it was uh, sent in by a by a younger Ollie Green. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> so if you can remember, so I, uh, so my one and only sort of paranormal, I guess, or unusual experience was when I was in a uh, a bar in York. So uh, I was living up at Leeds at the time and me and my partner at the time we decided we were hungry and we wanted some lunch so i believe the pub was called the golden fleece potentially i i think it was called that because i remember this story very well yeah so it had just uh sort of swung its doors open it was midday we were starving we've been i'm i'm one of these annoying people that gets up at the crack of dawn and i just like to do stuff so anyway um We'd been walking around for ages and we went into this bar. So you go in this long sort of galley sort of entrance and there's a room to your left and right at the back is the restaurant. So we got into the restaurant. Again, it's quite narrow and then it widens out. So we're standing at the bar and there's we're the only people in there and there's these glasses like stacked like massively like on the side of the bar. And um, so they they kind of advertise themselves as like a haunted bar. So I'm sitting there reading these plaques about what happened here and this is the meant to happen here and blah blah blah. And my ex uh, at the time, sorry, my partner at the time is um, sort of round, sort of a bit further away from me. So there's space between the the glasses, myself, and my partner. Um, and I'm reading all this stuff, and then I read this story about this guy, the landlord, that was meant to have hung himself um sort of where i was standing and i looked up at the beam and as i looked up at the beam all of these glasses so they're like pint glasses but free sort of stacked free tall they like shattered but like at me (laughs) like directly at me i'm looking up at this beam these like fly over there all of like i was in shock like (laughs) i was like what what back like what's going on um and then the guy behind the bar looked at me and he was just like oh my god i've heard of this but i've never seen it before and i was just like oh great so <laughs> well at least he didn't try and pin it on you and like what the hell are you no, doing why have you broken no, my glasses <laughs> he was really um excited i think um and i was a bit like oh like what that was that was weird but then i assumed that they must have come out of the dishwasher or someone knocked it well they were hot or whatever i i kind of yeah tried to 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 justify what had happened. So we sat down and we were having dinner and um, there was this light sort of above us and it just started flickering. So the light was over me and it was like flickering, flickering. And then the light bulb shattered like right over my head. Um, So somebody didn't want me there. Whether it was people playing a trick on me or there was genuinely the landlord didn't like me <laughs> no the um, problem the, the thing is i'd say that you know potentially haunted pubs do a little bit of the haunting themselves but the problem with the two things that you experienced is that they are risking a massive lawsuit if they were doing things that involved glass that could potentially involve you getting cut yeah so i would suggest that that nobody is paying a trick on you there i think you're probably getting haunted ollie maybe yeah i was just <laughs> it's the one and only time and i can't I could, it, to this day, I can't put my finger in it. I'm quite a logical person, but yeah, I can't. I can't work out what happened that day, unless my uh, partner at the time was trying to split up with me, and he'd kind of like <laughs> planned it. Um, what did they make of it? 
what did he make of it? Um, yeah. Yeah, he was a bit blasé, like I was, I guess, at the time. But then um, the more I thought about it, I was just like, that's really weird. Like, why would that happen? And there was no one else in there apart from us. We were the first people in that door. So, yeah, very bizarre. But um, It's very bizarre. And it's the difference between you and me because I would have been out of that pub like a shot. I wouldn't have stayed for dinner. I would have gone. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. It was very nice food, to be honest. I very much recommend it. So, um, Were you able to pick the glass out of it? (laughs) Luckily, I was kind of at the end. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I had a nice roast, if anyone's interested. It's very nice. Um, But yeah, so so I've had some ghostly ghostly tales as well. But again, these, these buildings are so old. Um, you're looking at these coaching inns, and and they might be in the city centres of of, uh, of places now. But once upon a time, they were probably on like a really old coaching road, yeah. sort of sitting there on their own. You see all the the sort of Tudor buildings that are sort of slanted now. Um, but yeah, you, it's inevitable that people have died in these places. I mean, people have died in new houses. So yes, they have. Um, yeah, how 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 that was your new house? Like a killer again, didn't it? I was going <laughs> to say, sound like a killer again, didn't it? It did. It <laughs> yes, did. they have. People have definitely died in new houses. I should know. <laughs> is is that why you moved? <laughs> yeah. No, our, our previous house was a Victorian house, so um, it, it you know it's not a new house. So I would technically be wrong if I said that someone had died in new house. I, I don't know where I'm going with this. So I just feel like I'm making myself sound even weirder. So I'm going to shut up. <laughs> Death is everywhere. I was reading that Dennis, Dennis Nielsen book recently, um, and about how he used to like cut like people up and put them down the toilet and stuff. Yeah, mm, lovely. I am. I, I do. I'm not. I can't. I don't. I just don't enjoy true crime at all. Um, but Emma is. Emma is is a true crime fan. So, did she watch Des? Yeah, I think yes, she did. I think, and she always uh, currently working her way through the two seasons of I Am Killer on Netflix, um, which is all the death row stories, which she's enjoying. So, so why don't you enjoy that? I don't really like true stories, which is bizarre because I'm a history person. But I think when it comes to my entertainment, I like to not know what's going to happen. So I like it. There's a, there's a lot of biopics and um, true story films that I enjoy. But I'd never choose one out of choice because I feel like if it's a true story about something, I know I knew what what happened. So, for example, I know and I've been told many, many times that The Impossible is a really good film, the film about the tsunami. But because it's a true story, I've just not watched it because I know what happens in the end. And I just find it really frustrating. And true crime for me is, is a similar kind of thing. It's just like I don't like I know the outcome. So the outcome is someone dies. And if we're talking about it, someone gets caught. So why do I need to know anything else? I don't know. It's, it's weird because I'm a historian and I love history. So I love stuff that happened in the past and like researching and reading about it. But when it comes to like visual entertainment, it's just not for me. That's interesting. I guess we all have our own sort of tastes and preferences, don't mm. we, on, on what we like. See, I'm more the other way around. If I'm reading, I tend to read more factual things than I do um, sort of novels. Um, and if I do read a novel it will have like a a historical undertone in there Um, (laughs) so at the the moment I'm reading a book called um, uh, Babylon Berlin which is about sort of uh, Berlin between 
the wars, basically. Um, yeah. And, it, yeah, it kind of has a thread of sort of the Nazis in there and the Soviets, but it's that's not the main storyline, but it's there. Um, yeah. I, I have to just want to clarify at this point, books are different. I'm I'm specifically <laughs> talking about... I'm specifically talking about visual entertainment books. I, I will read historical stuff because I am a, I am a history buff. I enjoy that kind of thing, but when it comes to visual stuff, it needs to be something I don't know. Yeah, I guess that. that yeah, no, that's that, probably a bit grumpy, but that does make sense. We're allowed to get grumpy now in our thirties. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, as I'm as I'm closer to forty now than I was than I'm thirty, I'm definitely allowed the grumpiness. I think. Yeah, definitely. It's a, it's like a rite of passage. If, if age is going to take my hair, it has to give me something good, right? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, well, this is true. This is true. Didn't you shave it all off, though? You've not, like, lost you it. shaved it off because it's going so thin. That's why it's, That's why I've shaved it off, because it's just so thin on top. It just looks a bit tragic when it's long. <sighs> Sad times Whereas for Whereas you've got luscious locks, so you can I get do. away with it. I do, but then, uh, without going into too much detail, you've obviously got more testosterone than I have, so, uh, <laughs> yeah, there we go. I don't think so, mate. It's just got... It's just unfortunately called family members i think that's all it is <laughs> uh, no way so anyway that has got nothing to do with what we're talking about it hasn't and some of this probably won't even make it into the episode yeah. it might do who knows um okay have you ever been to i can't imagine well i don't know it might be your thing so you know the attraction like the london dungeons and the york dungeons and stuff have you ever mm. been to them now I can't actually remember. I feel like I might have taken a school trip to London Dungeons, but probably not really paid a lot of attention to it because I was too busy making sure, like, Todd from year 10 didn't, like, accidentally stab an actor or um, Juliet and Lauren weren't out the back smoking. They're not real people, by the way. I use made-up names, but it was that kind of thing. So I don't know whether I paid a lot of attention. So I've potentially been, but I haven't been in a circumstance where I was going to enjoy it, if that makes sense. Would you go again? Uh, yeah, definitely, because I haven't... Because <laughs> you can't, can't remember, remember going. <laughs> I can't remember going. I don't tend to like live actor things like that because I get obviously I'm really easily scared and, you know, part of my impulse is to lash out and I'm really worried I'm going to hurt someone that I shouldn't. So we did... Um, we were really lucky that we were able to get access to the scare, major, scare mazes at Dreamland um, in 2019 for their um, Halloween stuff and I found them really traumatising. <laughs> because <laughs> there was all live actor stuff so yeah. i don't know i would like to go because there's a there's a historical aspect to it that i'm intrigued by but i just have to be careful i think yeah safety first you'll um so my <laughs> mum my mum took us when we were like kids i mean and we were really little like i don't know i <laughs> fair play to your mum <laughs> my my brother must have been about five and i was probably about three wow. yeah she was like come on boys let's go see some gore like, so, made your mom. I know, she, she didn't see anything wrong with it she was just like let's go <laughs> let's go this is probably where I get my macabre um, sort of outside from but I, I uh, uh, my mum is a spiritualist um, oh interesting yeah. so it's very bizarre that I'm she's obviously very much a believer and, and does, does tarot and reading and um, uh, sort of crystals and all that kind of stuff but it just didn't it didn't go down the generation <laughs> my brother and i are very much not them that kind of person but um yeah she's very much into um sort of ghosts and sort of connecting with the dead and all that kind of stuff so mm. yeah 
So yeah, I, I mean, I'm obviously honoured and very pleased that I've been invited on this, but perhaps you should have had your mum on this episode. No, well, mum, mum is getting an episode, but she's getting an episode on um, uh, growing up in the sixties and seventies. <laughs> nice. That's what she's getting. She's getting nostalgia. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's that's definitely what she's getting. Um, ah, yes. So I need to talk to you about para no, um, paranormal investigators. Okay. Okay. Now, I don't watch a lot of these shows, but I know that you do. So where do you stand with them all? I've got, I think, what would be cast as a love-hate relationship. I feel that, and again, it's that percentages thing, which is like, I'm not mathematical at all, but I feel like sometimes they ca- what they capture is real, but I feel like 95% of it is just complete nonsense and for television. So I do. I don't. I'm not like I'm not a. I'm not a skeptic. Sometimes I'll see stuff and hear stuff where I'm just like, well, I don't know what that is. So there must be some weight to it. And then other times I'll listen to Zach Bagans tell me for the like two hundredth time how that knocking on the door um, was clearly a demon because it had the number three in it. And uh, you know, there's a point where I'm just like, yeah, okay, <laughs> I get it. You've got to provide content to the channel that's paying you lots of money. I understand. <laughs> some. Um, I'm interested in the history of paranormal investigators because I believe, you know, at some point they must have been doing this and the pay would have been terrible. And so there must be, and you know, and I love, I love the fact that there are so many local paranormal societies that do this just for the fun of it. You know, they will invest their time and their money in something that is never going to get them a, a financial return. Yeah. So what for, I, for the love of the game, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So what I, um, particularly love um is so the enfield haunting that's a massive uh, mm-hmm. uh sort of story that i like um not because i necessarily believe it was true i don't know if they came out and said it wasn't true or anything but because of actually when it was set so a lot of uh horror and uh seance based things are set in this victorian period that we um mm began to talk about and digressed a million times but <laughs> it's uh that was the period that we were talking about but here we're talking sort of later on so you're in the 70s here and these are these don't seem like distant periods of time away from where we are now like no you recognize the the, the wallpaper and the the teapots from <laughs> your nan's house do you know what i mean yeah. um uh so that's what I kind of like about this sort of modern take on like the Enfield haunting, for example. Um, not that I necessarily believe it's true, like I said before, but I like that not all ghosts are wearing top hats and uh, a, like a bonnet, a Victorian bonnet. <laughs> it's quite nice to have yeah. them in normal clothing. And you know, as as I commonly say on real life ghost stories, when when we get when we finally get a story about a ghost in a shell suit, I'm going to be the happiest person alive. Um, I think, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's you know, that case in particular is very interesting, and we have a real life ghost stories advert, uh, an advert, advert. That's what I'm doing right now. We have a real life ghost stories um, episode on it, which you know, obviously, I'd recommend people listening to. Um, but. I think what's really interesting about that particular period is that it comes in a sort of a time when it's just starting to come back into the cultural psyche again. So it's it's very sort of, you know, you've got that, you've got that, what we don't see, 
which we saw after World War One, is we don't see a boom of spiritualism after World War Two, which is very I find interesting because the, obviously the loss of life is just as significant, if not more significant, after World War Two. But we don't see that same boom that we got after World War One. But towards the late sixties, and yes, you can t- definitely tie this into drug use. We see like. Uh, this sort of rise in spiritual exploration again. And, you know, a lot of that is by cultural icons like the Beatles and stuff like that who go off and explore these different spiritual routes. Um, and and the Enfield haunting is just getting into that, just uh, just at the sort of tail end of that experimentation. And then obviously from that case and others like it, such as Amityville and stuff like that, we get a, boo- a boom in the cinema and in the, in the cultural and the, the artistic um areas around the paranormal so it is a definitely a fascinating case so that's uh, just as you've said it i had written down 1960s sorry. drugs <laughs> um, sorry <laughs> no 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 I, w- I was writing that as you were saying like just pr- prior to you saying it so obviously we're on the same wavelength there so so maybe i just think that everyone who uh is sort of experiencing these things is just high um <laughs> potentially um but you've 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 also got like the likes of, of Charlie Manson and the family and like you said the mm. Beatles and the, this very experimental time again where people are potentially more open to letting um, sort of spiritualist uh, experiences into their lives. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. Sorry, I was just confirming you. I wasn't going to say anything, but then I couldn't actually speak. So um, I cut you off and I didn't mean to, sorry. Dry mouth. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, you do have that big explosion in the 70s, again, of, of uh, The Exorcist, the Amateurville horror, which I love, by the way, and I know it gets a slating, but there's something about them 1970s horror films that I absolutely I, I, adore. The original Amateurville horror is um, groundbreaking for what it did mm-hmm. for, for the... For the for, for the genre itself, and The Exorcist is a great film, so yeah, I'm with you on that. Um, what I will say though is it because obviously the Enfield Hilton is the early 70s, and as with a lot of these things, it's you know the the spirit the it takes a while to filter down to the masses, and so actually you know the people that are involved in the Enfield Haunting that family are a very and this isn't meant disparaging; it's just for want of a better word. But they're a very ordinary family. They're not you know they they're not they're unlikely to be doing hard drugs or anything like that, but it's it's sort of it's that filtering down into culture so they would have inevitably heard of you know the things the Beatles got up to the Manson family stuff like that you mentioned and it's how it you know it's it's just the length of time that it takes to filter into sort of the average person conscious I guess because although you know it's it's not just high society in that are doing drugs in the in the late 60s but it is a you know it's a it's it is quite sort of focused on on sort of towns and cities and actually not so much the suburbs and stuff. And, and so you've got that filtering down of it into regular person culture. And I don't mean that disparaging because I am a regular person myself. <laughs> it's really interesting you say that about filtering down because that, that happens quite a lot um, in in anything, in, I don't know, in fashion, in um, technology. You get the, the kind of creators kind of at the top and then the kind of the elite get it. I suppose it's capitalist world that we live in and then it dripple like like drips down and then all of a sudden it's it's big in sort of popular culture and then that's normally when when a movement happens not at the top but actually when it gets kind of to the bottom like where where you and i are um just going 
back to The Exorcist. Now, this... Um, so, I was a massive emo kid um, before emo was a thing. So, I was massively <laughs> into Marilyn Manson and AFI and the Misfits and all that kind of stuff. And um, so, I painted my room black, like all good teenagers do. Um, much to the despair of my um, military father. He, yeah... It's just, I don't understand why you've got long hair and you want to paint your nails black. Um, but anyway, so I got this uh, Exorcist <laughs> poster and I had no room on my walls. So the only place I had room is on my ceiling. So I put this Exorcist poster on my ceiling and it was a it was a picture of the, the girl. So the girl as she was possessed. Okay, so I'd positioned... Wow, a picture of Reagan above your bed. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. So I'd positioned it above my bed. And um, it was, I swear to God, it was like glow in the dark. So my room's all black. I've turned my lights off. I've woken up in the middle of the night and all I can see is these two eyes <laughs> like staring at me. Oh, the um, choices we make, eh? I swiftly <laughs> took it down. Um, yeah, it was terrifying. Um, and yet I'm still not scared of demons and ghosts, which is weird. Uh, yeah, that's bizarre to me. So for me, The Exorcist was a, was a later life discovery because it was one of those, you know, growing up in a, like a sort of Christian, I don't want to say hardcore Christian family, but quite a sort of fundamental Christian family. Um, the Exorcist was spoken of as an evil film, um, which I kind of get because of, of what it portrays, but actually compared to what we get on movies today... <laughs> It's not even close. Um, but yeah, I, so I just avoided it for so long. Part of it because obviously it was the way it was talked up in the sort of circles that I moved in as a kid, but also because I'm a massive scaredy cat. So I always anticipated it being just like, you know, watching it and then dying from a heart attack, that kind of thing. Um, and then I watched it and, and it, it freaked me out, but it wasn't quite as bad as I was expecting. But I didn't I didn't watch it until I was about 20, I think. So If you're watching it later on, like in the, the late 90s, like early 2000s or, or whenever it was um then cinema has has moved on hasn't it so so you look back at these things and they look really dated i mean you look at jaws mm. yeah. like it doesn't look like a shark at all um, it doesn't but it's still a great movie <laughs> but at the time that would have been yeah. like state of the art um yeah not dated at all that would have been how you saw the world so um yeah looking back at films now i mean the shining is one of my favorite horror films ever in the world yeah ever um and i know a lot of people don't like it because not actually a lot happened but that's what i like no. about it so it i think it's a great film as well yeah and that that the exorcist and the omen have a real sort of carry a real darkness with it like it might not be the scariest thing but the mood that it sets is is dark like it's a dark mood like i i won't have anybody say anything else about it. you might not like it visually it might not be your thing you might not find it scary but the tone is spot on in all of those movies i think yeah yeah and i i agree completely and uh, with the with the shining uh specifically because it, it is very long down and it's drawn out you're sort of sucked into that um like what would you do if you were sort of stuck in that area for a length mm. of time um yeah i just I, I i think it carries it really well yeah i agree personally um i love a bit of stanley whatever his name is 
<laughs> Kubrick. That's the one. <laughs> um, I was when I was in um, uh, New York. We went to a film studios in Brooklyn, I believe, and there were loads okay. of um, uh, Stanley Kubrick stuff from. Um, the the Odyssey film that he did, oh yeah, um, Space Odyssey, yep, yeah, and it had um, so there were all these letters that were displayed, and it had um, Hertfordshire, England, on the address because obviously we've got um, <laughs> yeah. we've got the studios like not too far away from us here, and I was I was in awe. I was like, oh, everyone knows where Hertfordshire is. This is exciting. Yeah, it's a big place in the film world, isn't it? Because Elim was based there originally, wasn't it? And a lot yeah. of the Hammer Horror stuff and that. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, and, and now you've got. Um, You've got the Warner, yeah. You've got the Warner <laughs> Brothers Studios that are there as well. Um, so yeah, it's a it's a it's film heaven, I guess, around here. I don't know how we've gone from uh, Victorian seances to films, but um, that's well. I feel like I feel like this is a this is a this is just your spooky episode, isn't it? I feel like we're covering a lot more than just seances and yeah. Victorian spirituals. You know what? I might, I'm here for it, Ollie. I genuinely <laughs> might change the title. <laughs> yeah, I would. Victorian seances plus everything else. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, okay. So I know that you've spoke about um, uh, many films on your your podcast. So can we talk about Sinister? And I know that you've done it on your podcast, so I'm not stealing your ideas at all. And everyone should go and listen to your review before you hear me bang on about it. But... I mean, Ollie, if we were to, you know, which we're not obviously not going to do because I know you're not a massive fan, but if we were to then follow this up with conversation about football, you pretty much hit my three things that I love. So we've talked about ghosts and spooky stuff. We're talking about movies now. And if you were to, to somehow talk, have a conversation about football at the end, you pretty much covered me on all bases. Uh, I can't do that, I'm afraid. I can't do that. I can't do the triple thread. Um I yeah I can I can tell you about what football players I I fancy but I can't tell you anything more about um like what they do. Um uh yeah. All right, I tell you this right when you relaunch your Patreon whatever that is we'll record an episode on the top 10 footballers that you fancy. <laughs> okay. Done. Done. <laughs> Do, do you know, like for for those that are listening, you don't realise how much work goes into this uh, podcasting. I feel like I've not slept in days. I have released three episodes today, but um, yeah, I, I actually feel like your schedule is a, is is quite intense compared to the average podcaster. To be honest, at the moment, so it is. I mean, there's nothing else to do, is there? <laughs> so might as well do it. Um, so sinister. Let's talk sinister. Um, I think this film is possibly one of the better modern horrors. I'm not going to call it the best because, you know, my memory is like a goldfish and I, I will talk about another aspect to this that's a little bit detrimental later. Um, but I personally think it's just done really well. Visually, it's stunning. It's It builds up that idea of it being sinister really well. I think the story is clever. I don't understand the people that say that it is over-reliant on jump scares because... I didn't find it particularly jumpy. I just found it unnerving. Um, yes, Bagul looks a little bit like a member of Slipknot, but you know I'm okay with that. Just let's just remember when we're making horror movies, keep your horror movie, your horror, your, your antagonist out of sight for as long as possible. Um, and when we do need to see him, make sure it's short, uh, little sharp things. But we're not talking ridiculous levels as Darth Maul in Insidious, are we? Let's be honest. No, it's interesting. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's a great film. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that about like keeping the, uh, the 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 spooky element out of it, or the character that's meant to be like the the main 
scary person out of it because I felt like um, Jeepers Creepers, for example, was really good Mm -hmm. up until the point that you saw that he was a monster. Sorry, spoiler alert. Um, (laughs) Up until he was a monster and then I thought it was ruined. I thought up until that point, it was so well done um, and then I just lost interest. Like, no. I think it's enough. That's another film that does a threat. It does threat really well. Um, I feel like Sinister does Sinister really well. That's why it's really well titled. Um, but I feel like Jeepers Creepers does threat really well. And I think there's there's certain emotions and feelings that you have to you have to decide when you and this is going way off tangent because it's not historical. But when you're making a horror film, you have to decide what one of those emotions you're going to really play on. I think too many of them just do standard fear, and it's nice when it's a threat or when it's a, a sinister aspect, or when it's unnerving, they're the ones that tend to hit home, I think, and Sinister does Sinister really well, and a lot of that is to do with the soundtrack, I think. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's a bit of an echo back to those 70s films, isn't it? The the, the, yeah. the, the, the violins and the tuning and stuff is just slightly out. Um, that sort of, it, it sounds right, but it's not right. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's not flawless, um, simply because I find that I speak to a lot of people that have no recognition of ever watching it, even though they've watched it before. Yeah. So I have, since I said about this on the episode, I've had other people contact me saying, oh yeah, I listened to your review and I was like, oh, that sounds really good. I watched it and I got 20 minutes into it and I realised I've already seen it. So <laughs> there's something about it that's very forgettable, <laughs> which is not really what you want, I think. <laughs> yeah, you so I mean, I remember when it sort of first came out and watching it and instantly it being in like my top 10 like I was just like this is incredible and actually like modern horror films tend to be a bit samey and I don't know if it's because we there's they're churned out like one after the other after the other like all films there's money in them isn't there so but with yeah, this we're one for choice for sure mm, with this one it seemed a little bit different um I kind of didn't really know where it was gonna go um, and I, yeah, I had that unnerving feeling and especially when like you, you see the tree and that the hanging, oh yeah, ooh, mm. it's, um, yeah, it was very, very bizarre, but yeah, you're right. He does look a bit like the guy out of Slipknot. Um, do, <laughs> do you know, it was this time, this time last year that I actually was at the O2 arena seeing Slipknot. Um, oh, did you see Bagul there? <laughs> well, Bagul was singing many tunes. <laughs> Um, he was singing Wait and Bleed and all that jazz Um, but yeah uh, uh, again like do do these characters look like Slipknot or does Slipknot look like these characters Um, I think these characters look like Slipknot because Slipknot very much predated Sinister for sure this is true I remember being in art class and we had to make like African masks I don't know what the the project was but I'd made a um like a slipknot mask instead so this guy had this like massive like long pointed nose and i put like this dread hair in there and um they were like that's not an african mask and i was like it can be an african mask if i want it to be an african mask i was like do not stifle my creativity and i was like well have you ever been to africa how do you know they don't have a mask like this like stop putting me down but anyway yeah that was my uh Slipknot. I wonder if it's still in the attic. It might be still. Oh, I've moved from that house. Maybe someone's found it 
in the oh, I'd love, I'd, I would love if your, if I'd love if your Slipknot mask, your Slipknot style African mask, starts a horror story for someone else. <laughs> oh, that would be amazing. I was it? up in the attic the other day and I found this mask. What does it mean? Ah, <laughs> oh, yes. Do you reckon that's how a lot of things start? That people just leave stuff yeah, they don't want, and they're like, oh, what's this style? Like Annabelle or whatever it is. Um, yeah. Yeah, some of the Annabelle films so hesitant. are quite good. Others not so much. I'm so hesitant to go up into any loft of any house I've rented. So, like, I have owned, at, well, you know, I've been on a mortgage of a house previously, and um, that attic I went up and cleared out. But anything that I've rented, I've just been like, nope, not looking in it until we it can just stay as it is. If we don't need the space, job done. I remember um, listening that's... to your um, story on Japan and the, the, the Japanese ghost, or, or, or the Japanese person that was living in the drawer, and that, to this day, yeah. that terrifies me. Like, I have no drawers mm. in my room because of that. None. Yeah, I mean, I, I, don't, I didn't like that story, and I tried to forget it, so thanks for bringing it up. I, no, I you're welcome. It. That That has really stuck with me. Like, honestly, that has stuck in my brain. Thank you very much. Um, talking of leaving things in um, funny places, so I dressed up as a clown one year for Halloween, um, and uh, I was driving. So and I had to go somewhere afterwards. So I I got changed and I'd I'd thrown it into the boot of my car and forgotten that it was there. It was kind of buried underneath everything. And I'm doing my shopping one day, and then I'm picking stuff out, and this clown mask, <laughs> like, falls out, like, on the floor. It's night time <laughs> at this point, and I get the fright of my life, because I'm like, what the fuck is that? Like, what's that doing there? And, um, yeah, it was my clown mask that I'd left in there from the previous year. So That would have creeped me out no end. Mm. It was, there's something about masks, isn't there, that's quite unnerving. Yeah, yeah. It's that uncanny valley thing, isn't it? Because it should be like, you know, you, you should see a face attached to a skull normally and uh, to have it just loose on the backseat of your car. Hmm. Yeah. It's quite scary. <laughs> it is scary. It is scary. Um, I feel like we've covered all bases on this episode. We've covered films. We've covered Victorian ghosts. We've covered um, who I fancy footballer-wise. Um <laughs> Although we haven't covered that. I'll make a list. No, we haven't. <laughs> I'll make a list. I'll get back to you. I'll message you on Instagram. All right. Um, <laughs> yeah, I potentially, I think we're going to leave it there. Yeah, I'll thank you so much for having me again. I've had really good fun. I feel like this is something that I'm almost well-equipped to talk about. And I like that we've taken a tangent from where we started because we covered more things that I like to talk about. So thank you very much for having me. And anytime you want me back, just let me know. Yeah, thanks for coming. It was like a natural progression, I feel, from from one topic to the next. So I'm not I'm not that Yes. I'm not that deluded by it all. And actually some of my episodes have not been specifically about history. I did one on um uh a, a chap that I know uh, who lives uh, who's a British born uh, Pakistani and I've done one about an ex-drug addict so they've not all been about history so that's fine oh, we definitely got some history in here we talked yeah. about stuff in the Victorian period so 100% but putting you and I together we know this from last time it, um, it's not a good combination well, we'll just talk forever <laughs> I mean maybe people will like us maybe they'll hate us who knows um <laughs> Yeah, so do you want to talk to me about your um, so your work, your podcast? So this is a really good place to plug things 
if you want to. Yeah, for sure. So, so yeah. obviously we've alluded to it on, on numerous occasions throughout the podcast, but I am co-host of a podcast called Real Life Ghost Stories, which you may already know, but if you don't and you like stuff that's spooky, I'd thoroughly recommend it. My wife, who is my co-host, does all the hard work, um, and she comes up with some really good spooky stories every week for me to normally get scared by. Um, so if you want to check that out, that's Real Life Ghost Stories. We're available on all podcast platforms. I do a podcast about a movie, uh, about movies, really bad movies, but that is behind a paywall, so I'm not going to talk about that too much. But if you sign up to Real Life Ghost Stories Patreon, you get access to that. And I've also recently finished, well, not recently, it's been a while now, but I've just finished the first season of a podcast called Let Me Introduce Myself, which is where I talk to a, a new guest every episode about a certain aspect of their life. And we have a similar kind of chat to the one that me and Ollie have had today, but it's normally on a, on a topic to do with them. And that's available on all, all podcast platforms as well. So the first season available and I'm in the process of recording the second season now. Amazing. And as I said, the reason this whole podcast exists is because of Dan and Emma. So please go and check their stuff out. Um, I... Uh, I am way behind on catching up with your episodes, and I am I'm behind doing, on yours as well, mate. So <laughs> I am doing my best to catch up, but um, working full time in the midst of a pandemic on the front line is quite hard, as well as um, no doubt putting all this stuff together. So, but yeah, again, thanks so much for coming on, and we will um, we'll collaborate again, I'm sure, and I'll put Absolutely. all the links and everything to your shows, etc., on the show notes. Um, yeah, so thank you, Dan. No problems, thank you, Ollie. And now, coming to you from the classiest radio station on the air, this is. Have you ever heard, or I very much doubt you've heard of this, but Clop Hill Church? I've heard of uh, a Clop Hill, let alone a Clop Hill Church. Okay. So Clophill Church is in uh, Bedfordshire and in the 60s um, it was, um, it, it, it got quite famous. So basically there was a rumour that this church that was an abandoned church on the top of this hill where this settlement used to be. So the village is now at the bottom of the hill rather than the top where it used to be. So this church, is it's got no roof on it. Um, the the graveyard's still there, but it's all open, so it's you can walk in and out of it. It's like a ruin, um, right? And in the sixties, uh, sort of late sixties, early seventies, it kind of like got news press because loads of teenagers went up there and started sacrificing animals, like uh, yeah, and started doing some really dark like magic stuff, and then. Um, it was believed that the church was built um, facing the wrong way. So I I don't know what churches are they meant to face, but anyway, it was facing the wrong way, apparently, and it became synonymous with dark magic. Now, from the 60s, so when this, this event happened, right up yeah. until the 90s, now I remember this, every Halloween, the police were stationed at the bottom of the hill, both sides, so no one could get up there. Um, wow. Now, yeah. you know, now, as you're talking about this, I realise that we have actually spoken about this on an episode, and I do remember it. There's probably people listening to this going, why has he not remembered this? I do remember it. It just takes too many time. But yes, I remember this. Yeah. But yeah, that is a crazy, crazy story. I'm interested by the church being built the wrong way round, though. Does that mean, because, you know, like most churches are built as a crucifix, right? Does that mean it's an upside down crucifix and that's why everybody's freaking out? That's, um... 
that was the belief. I don't know what the 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 truth in it. I think because it sat on its own and it was the only sort of surviving relic of this town that used to sit up on top of this hill. And then when um, I believe it was when um, plague struck, the all the villagers died up there, and the the town was abandoned and then it was kind of rebuilt lower down because it made more sense like why would you traipse all the way up the hill when you could yeah. just do it at the bottom of the hill so clop hill in bedfordshire is still um it's still there it's a lovely little town um but yeah they've got this relic of this sort of old church and you can go up there now so it's not as heavily guarded as it was and they've They've almost Disney-fied it a little bit, which has irritated me. Um, so there's these log cabins. There's princesses walking around, is there? Yeah, there's Princess Fiona. She's up there. Um, uh, I am the only princess that has been up there. Um, it's Yeah, and I, I remember as a kid, so it was very hard to... I say kid, I was 17. It was very hard to find um, the entrance because it's sort of sandwiched between... Um, sort of two houses. It kind of looks like a driveway, but it keeps going up. Um, and we went up there. We we just passed our driving test, and we thought it was a really good idea. So we're driving up there, and it's like a bumpy road. It's it's um, got all potholes and stuff in it. And you get to the top, and as like the car sort of swings round, the lights like sort of like go up the building. So it's 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 gradually revealed to you this church wow. and I shit you not there was a um, there was like a flock of birds just like the outline of them and you could see them like sitting in the old like window and it was freaky and like I remember <laughs> like, we were all like young and we like screamed and like we drove as fast as we could back down that hill um, it was terrifying <laughs> yeah absolutely terrifying so um, if there were any skid marks in them person's driveway I do apologise it was probably us um, but yeah, so that's um, I, that was renowned for for black magic back in the sixties, around the time that um, the family and Charles Manson and, and and all them films and and stuff were coming out. Also, so yeah, I have mixed feelings about black magic because I feel like don't know i don't if i found out that somewhere where i lived or somewhere i was going to was like a hot spot for black magic practicing i don't know if i'd want to go because i feel like it's about intent and i think if you go into something with evil intentions it's gonna leave a mark that might just be me being too super super not too paranormal minded but even if like you can't actually cover a devil conjure a devil, demon because demons aren't real if you're going into somewhere with evil intent you leave an evil mark on the area, I think, and it just feels heavy. Yeah. You get what I'm saying? No, it sounds no, a bit I, weird, but... No, 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 I completely get that. If you... um, You only have to be around people who have got a, like, a negative aura for it to kind of leave a mark on you. So maybe that's mm. leaving a mark on the area as well. Who knows? I think you feel it in places like... Not so much graveyards, because I, like, I feel like graveyards get like a bit of a a bad stick because actually a lot of the time yeah it's full of death and stuff but actually they're laid with pensions there do you know what I mean like you you, but graveyards are there to lay people to rest in what is was considered the right way or and to sort of put closure on it so I, I don't feel like kind of energy but you get it if you go if you've ever been to an abandoned prison there's a vibe to it mm. do you know what I mean like it's it's just because I think feel like you know 
Yeah, I kind of got yeah. that when I was in uh, Alcatraz. Um, yeah, Alcatraz was what I was thinking of as well. <laughs> yeah, so um, I went to uh, America on my own. I went to San Francisco on my own, and I was walking around there, and I had the headset and stuff on. And yeah, it was it was really freaky. <laughs> like, yeah, um, I feel like the first time I went because I've been I'm lucky enough to have been twice with two different people. Yeah, um, and the first time I went, it was really crowded, and I just felt like I didn't get any vibe off the place at all because there was just so many other people there. And we couldn't go in like there was no place to disperse because the weather was so windy that we couldn't go out in like the exercise yard or anything like that because it was really uncomfortable to stand there because obviously it's on a rock. And yeah. I just felt like everybody was in the main hub, so they didn't really get a vibe of it, off of it. But the second time I went, the weather was really good. And I've also been to a, pr- a prison in Australia, which was a similar like historical prison as well. Yeah. And got the same vibe there. And I was much younger, but it's just something, you know, and that's not me saying all prisoners are evil or it's just that I feel like you know the the intent there is is not a good intent like you're locking up yeah maybe well for a good reason but that's a whole other subject is... isn't it the uh <laughs> the, the, yeah. the, the prison system and if it is actually the right way to do things yeah, let's not get into that today because um, it becomes dixie Prol then <laughs> yeah yeah it's um the uh, again a very a poor comparison but um i know a lot of people who are suffering um, from lockdowns, etc. Um, so if you imagine that uh, lockdowns, you, you are allowed to leave your house, etc. But can you imagine being in a prison and not being allowed to leave a uh, three by six room for days and days yeah. and days on end? It's going to cause some damage to people. Um, but yeah, that's that's my opinion anyway. Anyway. I, I swore that I wouldn't I'm not, get political. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna start I'm not gonna raise the red flag and start talking right now, so I'm just gonna leave it at that. But I'm just saying like I got you get places where you know, where some kind of evil intent has gone and you often get a vibe from, I think. Yeah, hundred percent. That's what that's what I'm saying. And so that's why I would I would hesitate to go to places that were known black magic gatherings because of like that in particular that you're doing that for a reason. Do you know what I mean? There's 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 some kind of evil intent to that. So my final question is, do you and Emma want to come to Clophill Church? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd, I'd be well up for that. Oh. I feel like we need, I, you know, before lockdown, I was very hesitant to do any kind of visiting of paranormal hotspots because it scares the bejeebas out of me. But I am at a point now where I've been in so inside for so long and in the same place for so long that, hey, <laughs> I don't care anymore. You'd go <laughs> anywhere. I, I feel like being scared for a, being scared for an evening is, is, is good. Uh, is a good sort of uh, make weight for being able to go somewhere different. A, so, good, yeah, a good night out. Well. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I'd also quite like to go to the Hellfire Club as well. Hellfire, Hellfire Club as well. So yeah, we there's will, a lot. We will be out and about. Yeah, there's a lot, and I'm going to come to that prison in um, Canterbury, which is point. which is a bar. You mean? <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to hang around in prison. 